This morning we're going to look at verses 14 to 16, that is page 809 in the Blue Bible if you have one. And I've been doing a series in the evenings on the Sermon on the Mount, and so this is the third installment of that, and picking up um, here, we had started with the Beatitudes a couple of weeks ago, looking at verses 1 through 12, and Jesus describes there what his followers the characteristics of their lives should look like. And we see that in the Beatitudes in verses 3 through 9. They are progressive. That is one of the things that we learned about the Beatitudes is that they build upon one another. So the one is going to lead to the other, to the other, and to the other. And so if you were to look at verse 3, you see here uh, this being poor in spirit, that reflects the right attitude that we should have in relationship to God. We should see ourselves as the sinners that we are and in need of God's grace. And then we see, as we reflect on that right attitude of our sinful condition, that this should lead us to mourn. We should be mourning over our sin. And then, in turn, that should lead us to meekness. We're not proud, we are humble. We're meek in that respect. And then we are to thirst and to hunger after righteousness. And then we are to be pure in heart. And then, blessed are the peacemakers. We saw all these different things taking place there. And if we are living that way in our Christian lives, and one of the things that is going to result is that we will be a rebuke to the world, and that is going to lead to problems. We're going to have opposition. And so we see that in verses 10 to 12. We will face opposition in this world of wickedness and in decline. And so one of the tendencies we could have is to say, I got to get out of here. I got to get away. I got to escape from this opposition. But Jesus doesn't want his followers to do that. And so last week we looked at verse 13, that, that you are salt. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are salt of the earth. Now what does that mean? Well, last week we looked at some of the different aspects of salt and some of the different characteristics of it and what it does. But the primary meaning, I believe here, what Jesus is talking about is the preserving influence that salt has. Believers are to act as kind of a preserving influence in this world. We are to preserve the world. It's not as wicked as it would be if we weren't here. So believers have a very important influence in that respect. You are the salt of the earth. And he's saying that the world is corrupt, it's in decline, it's decaying, it's rotting. And Jesus says that his people are to have this preserving influence in the world. And so you can listen online to those first couple of sermons if you wish to and go back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 and verse 1, but we're going to press on this morning. But it's important for us to realize that we are salt, that you are salt, And this claim that you are salt isn't something that you aspire to, just like you are light. It's not something to be aspired to. It's a declaration that Jesus is making. It's a claim that he is making that you are salt, you are light. And we see that the people that Jesus has had a tremendous influence upon, that he wants them in turn to have an influence in this world. And so he uses these two different themes, these two different illustrations of salt and light to do that, to help us. And so the Beatitudes tell us what character qualities a Christian should have, what our walk in this world should look like, very different from what the world looks like. And then in verses 13 to 16, he tells us what kind of influence a Christian should have in this world. 
So last time we looked at salt. You are the salt of the earth, verse 13, and then verse 14, our preaching passage this morning. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Well, Lord God, as we come now to the preaching of your word, we ask that your word would, would go forth and accomplish the task where unto, unto you send it. And so we ask, O oh Lord God, that you would convict us, that you would encourage us, that you would bless us now as we look into these themes in your word. Well, if, amen. If you were to go to the book of John in chapter 7, you would see there uh, something called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles that Jesus is in attendance of. And the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths was used for the Israelites to commemorate what God did in the wilderness wanderings, how God led them by day in the cloud and how God led them at night by fire. And so they would come together And they would have this week-long celebration, Sabbath to Sabbath, called the Feast of Booze or Tabernacles. And in it, they would have all these different pots that would be full of oil, these huge, many, many gallons holding, holded of oil in these pots. And they would lift them up on poles throughout the Temple Mount, this 35-acre site. So picture this, thousands of people descend upon Jerusalem with all of these different pots that are all lifted up very high all over the Temple Mount, and they are lit on fire. And not only that, the candelabras in the temple would all be lit up. People would be carrying torches around on this temple site. They'd be worshiping God. They'd be singing praises to him. There'd be dancing, all these things happening at this feast that was taking place there, at the Feast of Tabernacles. And so you'd be able to see this from many, many miles away. It truly is a city on the hill, on Mount Zion. And on this temple mount, all of these things would all be lit up and you could see it from miles and miles around the glow of Jerusalem as these things are taking place. The interesting thing is, is that it's in this context in John chapter 8, as he continues to be at this Feast of Tabernacles, in John chapter 8, that that Jesus comes in and in verse 12 in John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. It says, look at all of these things that you are commemorating. These all point to me. It's all about me. I am the light of the world. And so all of these different things that they were commemorating, God's faithfulness and God's leading, Christ was the one leading. All of these things that they were, are thinking about, all the things that were lit up and aglow, it was all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was announcing there that he fulfills the Feast of Tabernacles. They were worshiping him. They didn't see that, of course. But that was truly what was happening there, that he is the light of the world. He declares, I am the light of the world. And so when we consider our passage today in Matthew 5 that says we are the light of the world, and we think about Jesus said he is the light of the world, who is the light of the world? Is this a contradiction in our Bibles that we see here? The answer, of course, is no, there isn't. Jesus is basically saying, while I am in the world, I I am the light of the world. But I'm leaving this world. And the light that that is shining in me is going to have to shine through you. That is our task as the church, to let that light shine. When we look at both of the statements together, we see Jesus saying these things, that he is the light of the world, 
while he is here, then he is gone, and we are now on the scene to carry on that light on his behalf. So let's begin to look at these various things here that we see in verse 14, 15, and 16 this morning. And first of all, is that claim? Again, it's a claim. It's not something we aspire to. You are the light of the world. Now, what is the purpose of light? Well, very simply, it is to dispel darkness. When it's dark, we turn a light on and there we have it. In our day, we just flip a switch and we have lights. In our day, we can pull out a cell phone and turn on a torchlight, and there you go, you've got light. It wasn't so in Jesus' day. They had candles, they had lamps, they had these various means, torches, to have light, but they weren't as privileged as we are to have this light. And so light is used to dispel the darkness. It helps us to find our way in the dark. And the Bible uses this imagery of light and darkness all over the place. We see that everywhere, including the reading that we had earlier. And we see that Christians have been rescued from that domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light. We see that in Colossians 1 and verse 13. And I know that you are biblically informed enough to know and understand that people are not basically good, but people are intrinsically evil. The depravity of man is something that we believe in our church, that people are, are depraved naturally. We are born in this state, and we are blind to the truth, and we are enslaved to sin. And we see in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul saying, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And then notice what he says. Their foolish hearts were darkened. And Paul goes on in that passage there in Romans 1, beginning at at verse 21 there, to unfold the depravity of man and the depths to which man goes, the sexual immorality, all these things, these degradations, degrees of degradation that we see there of sin and this wickedness that is taking place there. And if you are not convinced on that at all, then read Romans 1 through 7, and it really helps to capture the essence of our plight naturally as men. Man is not basically good. That is one thing that we have to realize. He loves his sin. He wants to hide in his sin. He wants his sin. And that is why in John three nineteen, Jesus said, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So light helps us to find our way in darkness. Light exposes the dark. If you were to walk into a very dark room, especially if you have young children who play with Lego, and it's, it's dark in there, and you haven't turned the light on yet, and you find a piece of that Lego under your foot, that, is, that, that really hurts. That stuff is one of the most dangerous kids' toys there is. Or all the sharp corner, corners that they have on them. But that's what's happened when we, the light comes on in our lives. When we, at one point, were in the kingdom of darkness, the domain of darkness, and the Lord Jesus Christ turned that switch on spiritually inside of us. When we were redeemed, we can see all of those things. And I don't know about you, as I get older, I see more and more things. I've got a long list of things that I've got to work on. And as we become believers and we become more and more mature in our Christian lives and we have more and more light, we see more and more of those deficiencies in ourselves. And thankfully, we can run to the cross and know that Christ has paid for every sin, past, present, and future. And it is a wonderful thing to be a child of God. So the light exposes the darkness. The the light helps us to find our way in the darkness. And we also use the light to, 
to lead other people out of darkness. You go camping and you're the one with the flashlight and you're on your way down a trail, a dark trail, and you're leading the way. Other people are following along. They can't see. They need that light. And that is what we are in this world. We are a light to lead others. We use the light that we have to to lead others to the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the second thing that we note here is a warning. We see a warning taking place here in in verse 14b and 15. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. The Dead Sea Scrolls were an incredible biblical archaeological finding for a period of about 10 years back in the mid-40s to the mid-50s. All these different Bible manuscripts, Old Testament manuscripts were found in these sites in Qumran area of the Judean desert near the, uh, the Dead Sea. Okay, we've got, we've got Isaiah, we've got the Psalms, we've got the minor prophets, the major prophets, all kinds of Old Testament books that are found there. It's an incredible find that we see there. It's an amazing sight to behold. Now this sect, the Essenes who lived there in Qumran, um, they were destroyed in, about, uh, in 68 AD by Roman legions under, under the emperor Vespasian when he came and he took over Jerusalem. He also wiped out this uh, community of Qumran, the Essenes that were there. And the interesting thing about the Essenes is that they dwelled in the caves that were around this area of Qumran. And that's where they found all these different manuscripts. They were in jars, they were protected, they were preserved. The Lord providentially had preserved them for our benefit and for our good. So we have all these people that proclaim themselves, this little sect of, of Jewish people, the Essenes, all this little group that proclaimed themselves as the sons of light. They proclaim themselves as the elect of Israel. They had this small little community of people. It's just about us and keep everyone away. We're going to dwell in these caves. And yet they lived. They lived in the caves and yet they proclaimed themselves to be the sons of light. Isn't that ironic? Living in a cave and being a son of light. Now, if they did have light, then they weren't wanting to share it with anyone else. And that's not at all what Jesus wants from his followers. He wants those who do have the light to be sharing that light. You are the light of the world. Don't hide it. Don't cover it. That is what Jesus is saying in these verses. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. These are two easy to understand illustrations that the Lord gives to us here. If a city is tucked away way down in a valley, then it's going to be difficult to see. If you go into your house and you flip on a lamp in your living room and then you throw a blanket over it, well, what good is that? That's basically what Jesus is telling us here. He's saying that the manifestation of our Christian lives can't be hidden. We have to show people. It has to be visible. It can't be shrouded. It can't be concealed. And when our light is concealed, there's at least four things that could be happening within our hearts. One of them is that we could be living in willful sin willful disobedience, doing things that we actually know are wrong. We're not going to be shining when that happens. The second thing is, uh, closely related to that, is living in compromise. We want it both ways. We got a foot in the world, a foot in the church, and that's the way we're living, in compromise. There's going to be no shine if we are compromisers. And the other way, another way, is that we are living in laziness. Laziness is another way to shroud our light. 
I don't want to talk to that person. I don't want to be involved with that person. I don't want to help them with this trial and difficulty. I don't want to serve in the church. Let somebody else do it. I'm tired of doing these things. Let someone else. And then fourthly, living in fear. Fear. Fear can cause us to hide our lights. If we are in a workplace and we're afraid for our job, if we speak out about Christ, we can be fearful about that. We can be fearful about a lot of things. We don't want to be exposed as a follower of the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't want to let our light shine in that way. So fear can be another way in which our light is compromised in these ways. And so men and women, boys and girls, need to see the light. We can't cover our light in these ways. We have to ensure that we are leading others and helping to unpack for them the truths and the riches of the gospel that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, showing them the hope that is ours in the Lord. And so it's in these ways that we are to shine as lights. And then thirdly, we see the implication, one of the implications of what Jesus is saying here. You are the light of the world. And then in verse 16a, let your light shine before others. The light has to be somewhere it can shine. It has to be set up. It has to be visible. It has to be involved in these different ways. And this can be a great challenge to us in the culture in which we live and because um, I don't know about you, and I'll just preach to myself here for a minute, but if the shoe fits uh, with your heart as well, then you can, you can take it for what it is. But I don't know what I, what I do sometimes um, when I'm involved in this culture and I see news reports and I see people talking or I interact with people. One of the things that I have a tendency to do sometimes is just to ostensibly demonize that particular viewpoint, position, person, their lifestyle, the wickedness that I know is going on in their lives, instead of looking behind the curtain and see who's really behind things, the the prince and the principalities of this world, Satan behind and these ideologies, all these things happening, instead we can look at people as the enemy. We look at people as the enemy instead of the mission field. I think it's critical, and I think one of the things Jesus is doing here is trying to reorientate our minds to looking at people as the mission field and not the enemy. These people are blinded, just like we were at one point in time. And so we can't be proud, we can't be arrogant in our relationships with people in these ways when we see these wicked things happening, and they are wicked. I don't tend to minimize those things in any way. But these people are captured by these different things that are happening, this darkness that has pervaded their hearts. And they need the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is us that needs to show them that love and that grace and that mercy. So not viewing people as the enemy, but as the mission field. And one of the interesting things that we see in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, in his high priestly prayer of John 17, one of the things that he's talking about there is along these lines. Did you ever notice that when you got saved, you weren't automatically just taken up into heaven, right? He doesn't just save us. He's left us here for a purpose. And so he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. He's talking about us, leaving us here for a purpose. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. This is what Jesus is praying. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And now listen to what he prays for next. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Now question, we can pause for a second. Do you view yourself as one who is sent into the world? 
Do you view yourself as one who is sent by the Lord Jesus Christ into the world? As one who has this light? Or are you like the sons of light, the Essenes, hidden away, living in caves, just keeping in that little tight little community without getting out? Do we view the mission of the church that way? Yes, we come in and we want to come here. We want to praise. We want to worship God. We want to exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to pray for one another. We want to love and serve one another. Absolutely. And those are all things that that this church is doing and doing well. And it's an awesome thing. And keep on doing those things well. So we come into the church to worship. But when we go outside into that world, we are sent ones of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are sent to fulfill this mission as light in this world. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others. And then the fourth thing that we say, see here is the purpose. What is our ultimate purpose in life? It is the glory of God. What is the end to which we do acts of service? The glory of God. What is the end to which we share Christ with other people? It is so that Christ would have worshipers, that people would give glory to God. Presently, they're not worshiping God. We want to see them worshiping our great God. Verse 16b, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine. People are to see good works by us and to see Christ within us. That is the reason behind good works. It's not to see how great we are. It's to see how great our Savior is. It's God's light and it's our choice whether we're going to hide it, whether we're going to live in caves or whether we are going to let it shine. So we are to be different. That's one of the things that the Beatitudes, these attitudes we are to be like, shows us is that we are to be different in this world. And we are different when we live that way. We're very, very different. And the fact is that we are salt in a decaying place and light in a dark place. And so we need to show that in this world. So when people look at our lives and see the growth and the change, then God gets the glory for it. It points to that work that the Lord has done in our hearts. Now, in terms of application, there's a couple of broad categories, just very broad strokes here. I hope that the Holy Spirit's been implying things in different ways in your own heart right now, but just a couple of different broad categories to think about. We are salt and light, firstly, by our actions, by the things that we're actually doing, actively doing, our actions. Remember, the context is the Beatitudes in verses three through nine. People should see in us that we are poor in spirit, People should see in us not pride, but a meekness. People should see in us the way that we are living out these Beatitudes and how different that is. We are salt and light by our actions. Paul says in Ephesians 5, for one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And he goes on to say, walk as children of light. So by our actions, we live as salt and light in the world. And then secondly, we do this by our words by the things that we actually say to people. We pray for opportunities. We take the opportunities God gives us to be able to share and speak the gospel, to be able to share what the Lord has done in our lives. And it can be very, very simple. As I've said from here before, it can be as simple as the man in John chapter 9 who is healed of his blindness. And the religious leaders don't like what Jesus has done. They tell the man to change his story. He says, no, I'm not changing my story. This is what's happened. And they go on and on uh, antagonizing this man until finally he says, look, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but one thing I do know, 
Once I was blind, but now I see. So simple and yet so profound. We don't have to have all of the right words. We don't have to have a theological dictionary memorized. We can just share simply what the Lord has done in our own hearts. So by our actions and by our words. And so lastly, brothers and sisters, you are very, very necessary in this world. You are indispensable in this world. With what the Lord Jesus is saying here, you are very, very necessary. We are here on earth with a very, very important mission. And one thing that Jesus says here that we don't really get in our English translation, but in the Greek, when he says, you are salt and you are light, this is the emphatic plural that he is using here in the Greek. He says, you and you alone are the light of the world. You and you alone are the salt of the earth. Listen to the power that is within that. In other words, the the world doesn't have what you have, the gospel. The world can't do what you can do, be salt and light. So if people don't see Christ in us, then guess what? They're not going to see Christ. So we have a great responsibility to be salt and light and to be active in this world. And as we live this way, as we are salt and light, then we do all of these things in the power of the Holy Spirit, all for the glory of God, so that Christ would have more and more worshipers in this world. Let's pray. Well, Lord God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for these encouragements to us to be salt and light. And we pray, O oh God, that you would help us to set aside worldliness, that we truly would stand out for the right reasons and that you would help us to be salt and light for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.